Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where we talk about issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming, and we make it interesting. I promise you, each time you listen to us, we're not going to bore you with grain prices or weather forecasts. You've got that on your phone, but you know what else? We bring in great guests, like today, my guest, Sean Haney. If you happen to listen to Rural Radio, that's channel 147 on Sirius XM, Rural Radio every afternoon at 4 o'clock Eastern Time, Sean Haney brings you Real Agriculture Radio. He's the founder of realagriculture.com. He is a farm kid, also grew up in the seed, grew up in the seed business in southern Alberta. For you American listeners, that is one of the prairie provinces. It goes British Columbia to the west. That's where Vancouver and the hippies are. That's their version of Seattle. And then you go over the mountains and you hit the province known as Alberta, which is like the Indiana of the prairies. These people are rednecks. They're farm people. They're like us. Alberta has the big city of Calgary, the other big city of Edmonton. Alberta also has Sean Haney as one of its natives. He's my guest. We're going to talk about all things Canada, American agriculture. The title of this show I'm working with right now, Going to War with Canada on trade, question mark. Anyway, Sean Haney, welcome to the show. Hey, Damon. It's great to be with you, man. You know, it's, this is, uh, I'm, I'm so glad to be a guest. You know, this is awesome because there's so many things that we can talk about with everything that's going on in the world between Canada and the U.S. And I don't know, we, we may be going to war. I, I saw, I've seen Canadian bacon. I know how this ends up. John Candy knew what he was doing when he made that movie. So it's, uh, it's uh, we're, we're in interesting times. So here's what we got, dear listeners, to the Business of Agriculture podcast. We have an issue right now. It is June 7th. 2018, when we are recording this show. Right now, as we speak, trade uh, issues are heating up between the United States, Canada, and Mexico. That's NAFTA. Remember, it came into being in 1994, or 96, was it? Anyway, NAFTA came into being, and it was a boon for all three countries, sort of, kind of. But let's not pretend that the trade agreement didn't have some winners and some losers. All trade agreements do. Donald Trump took office in 2016 as the the person that was touting, we're going to change this. The trade deals are unfair. Sean Haney is an ag guy in Canada. He's on the radio every day. He studies this. He keeps up with it. Mr. Haney, is the trade deal unfair? Well, I I think it depends on who you talk to. I've really felt, Damien, the fact is – that this whole concept that can, you know, President Trump talked about how Canada, they're slippery, those Canadians. They're, they've, you know, they've taken advantage of us and you know, they've won and we've lost and you know, they've really, really outsmarted our politicians in the past and I'm going to fix this. A lot of that is really, I think, essentially a fairy tale. Are, are there issues that need to be fixed, like a modernization of the agreement? Of course there is. But the reality is, is that from an agriculture perspective, this deal has been fantastic. Our, our, our supply chains are incredibly integrated. Is there an issue where, you know, I, I use, I think too many times we jump to the, well, we're being taken advantage of. And I think there's things in, in this agreement that we, we don't focus on the positives enough as opposed to some of the things that need to be fixed. And they're going to fix them. It's just, boy, have we hit some thin ice right now. We're, we're skating and sliding all over the place. Thin, you know what? You knew as a Canadian with the, the, the third minute of the show, he's already talking, comparing things to ice skating and hockey. Hockey. Remember, in the United States, we call it hockey. Up there, it's hockey. 
We call them houses. They call them hoses. We yeah. call it processing. They call it processing. Anyhow. Hey, say, say, say roof. Roof. Okay, not roof, eh? You thought I was going to call it roof? Okay. Yeah, it's a roof. Okay, here's the deal. Um, I want to go to war with Canada because I think it'd be really neat to have all the cool things about Canada. Moose, uh, you know, free-flowing whiskey. Maple syrup. Uh, you know, and maybe just make you our indentured servants. I mean, you know, everybody, who wouldn't want a Canadian to just like, you know, run and fetch their paper? No, I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> <laughs> First, <laughs> on our, with our dog sled. Wow. Yes, right. Um, I don't see us going to war. And I think that what we must admit here is there are always bad aspects of deals. We can also admit that some of this is bluster. I've talked about Donald Trump before on this podcast. I will not join the fray of criticizing, oh, the other day he didn't know the third verse to God bless America. You know, that is a ridiculous point. Let's point out a couple of the realities. China is the big, huge problem. Uh, if you believe that we should not have our intellectual property stolen from us. China is the big, huge problem when you say China has never played fair, if there is such a thing as playing fair. You know, John Steinbeck said once in a quote, if you ever find yourself in a fair fight, you're an idiot. <laughs> so, so maybe the real advantage goes to the he or she who does not play fair. But China does steal intellectual property. China does dictate to anybody that wants to do business with them, you're going to uh, surrender ownership to them and their, their companies, which are really government-controlled companies. Yeah, totally. Here's the big problem. Canada, in my opinion, clearly is not. We can't, the United States and Canada, arguably the two most uh, similar uh, G7 countries that there are. Uh, you know, we both speak English. We both have... Uh, well, most of us do. I know we have Spanish being spoken in a lot of the United States. You have French in one we of your French. provinces. Yeah, we have French. And so here's the thing. We've got so much commonality and we have so much good going on. I don't see us going to a trade war. What my numbers tell me is that we are essentially dead even anyhow. There's not some huge trade imbalance between the United States and Canada. Is that what your research says? Uh, totally, yep. Okay. Mexico, on the other hand sends $60 billion per year more of their crap to the United States than we send it to them. So maybe all this bluster has more to do with the Mexico part of NAFTA than it does with the United States and Canada. Your thoughts? Uh, well, I, okay, well, there's lots of stuff there. I think one of the first, you should not ignore, though, the amount of corn that goes to the United States for tequilas in Mexico. It's an incredibly important. Uh, it's an incredibly important market. You also incredibly, incredibly important for chicken. Um, it's my understanding they are yeah. what our number one or two or three uh, uh, consumer of broilers uh, birds here from the United States. So taking a lot of chicken, a lot of corn, oh, and pork. The, and Mexico pork. retaliated to the steel uh, aluminum exemption lifting by putting a, an increased tariff on pork shoulders. And I heard yesterday a couple analysts saying that that could because you know, the World Pork Expo is going on. This could be a huge problem for, for the market. So the reality is, is that, listen, I think it, it was much, it was easy to pick on Mexico because of all of the concern about illegal immigration. I do also think, though, that there was a thought that Canada, because of our stereotype of being apologetic and very nice, and we are, we're, we're a kind, sweethearted people. Your but biggest exports to the United States are hockey and whiskey. Let's not pretend you're a peaceful nation. <laughs> well, we did. We did give you Ted Cruz and Justin Bieber. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, okay, but here's the reality. I think there was a lot of thought that Canada was just going to roll over, 
right? And that hasn't happened. And I think that's what's causing, that's creating a lot of this frustration where all of a sudden Canada has become, Canada's being put in the same group as China and North Korea. Yeah. And it's just, it's kind of silly and it's kind of laughable. And, and I think it, it just, we all know it's easy to make fun of and it's fun to pick on. It's, it's such an important relationship between the two countries and it, it's got to get figured out. It's, 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 but it's politicized now because we're past the congressional deadline of May 17th. NAFTA is not going to be able to get a 2.0 is not going to get passed this year. It's going to move into 2019. So all of this bluster and rhetoric, I completely agree with you. It is bluster. It's all to do with the midterms. It is really not about NAFTA 2.0 at this point. So, Sean Haney is my guest. If you somehow stepped away and got your coffee refreshed, Sean Haney with RealAgriculture.com, Real Ag Radio on Channel 147 Rural Radio. He's a smart guy. He's an Albertan. That means he's from the western part of Canada. And he is my guest. Appreciate him being on here. Let's talk about some of the things that do come into play. You and I both agree. China's the big problem uh, that... Trump is really trying to address. And then obviously there is a bit of a trade imbalance, $60 billion annually with Mexico. Is it end up, does it end up that NAFTA doesn't get renewed and the U S and Canada have one deal and the U S and Mexico have another one. So Canada and Mexico at this point are going to, and they have up until now, and it seems they're going to continue avoiding that scenario. That is a divide and conquer strategy. I think it's very smart on the part of the Trump administration. If you have two different deals with two different sets of rules and you're a company looking to invest in the NAFTA uh, area, it, it, why would you want to set up shop in Canada or in Mexico to deal with those two separate rules? You're going to just set up in the US and do business. And so this is a backdoor strategy to try to get companies to invest build in the U.S. instead of the other two NAFTA partners. So I think it's going to be a test of the relationship between Canada and Mexico. Can they hold together? I don't know. But I know that Canada is closer on the auto issues to the U.S. than, say, the U.S. and Mexico are. So there's some people that believe that, hey, Canada should entertain this. I, I, I think it may be risky long term. It's, it's, but it's not as silly as the five-year sunset clause. No, I, I agree with you. I see, um, you know, when you can look at it this way, uh, we're about 320 million people here. You're about 35 to 37 million up yeah. there, right? Ten ten everything's a 10 times factor. Yeah, except for our currency, it's just about a two times factor, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, but, but not as bad as the peso. Be careful. Right. So here's the thing that I look at. Uh, Canada needs uh, your trucks to run through our country to get to Mexico and vice versa because putting stuff on a barge and sending it around makes it a little bit more cost prohibitive. Right. So we are kind of the big anchor. Uh, Mexico's populations, I believe, right around 100 million. So you got about 130 to 140 million between Mexico and Canada combined. And we've got two and a half times that here in the United States. Um, we are obviously the bigger anchor. I don't know that it's smart for Mexico to not have trade with the U.S. I mean, we had that probably when I was a child. Remember, all we got from them was like some some blankets and some some beads and uh, some cheap yeah. tourism. Uh, so I don't think that it's smart for anybody to do that now, but I don't know that we are going to end up with the same deal between all three countries. If you figure Mexico looks like they're benefiting on a greater level than our two countries. The, the issue with Mexico is labor standards, right? And so this was actually in the original NAFTA, this was a concern of Canada's 
that if we let Mexico into the deal, which has significantly lower pay and labor standards, that is really going to create issues with Canada in the U.S. and in a manufacturing situation. So that, that's really the, dif the difference for them. You know, Canada, because of, you know, we're the second largest landmass in the world next to, next to Russia, but we also have a very thinly sparse population. We, the majority of us all live very close to the U.S. border. Uh, I'm, I myself live an hour from the Montana border. And so our challenge is, is that when we are so such a small population the, and we're so adjacent to the U.S., it's been easy to trade with the U.S., mm -hmm. right? It was just a natural flow downhill uh, to the biggest market in the world where the jealousy of everybody because of the adjacency. But it's also, it's also created a situation where we haven't necessarily diversified our trade either. And that's why for Canada, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or now the CPTPP, is such an important thing because it's a it's access it's better access to asia and since the u.s decided that it was the worst deal in the history of all deals or at least one of them uh canada from an egg perspective is going to have preferential market access to the asian market uh over u.s farmers and there's a lot of u.s farmers that are not happy about that to put it very lately no i agree with you wholeheartedly i tpp was going to be dead no matter what i tell my listeners this all the time remember Hillary said it was going to be next, and Trump both said it was going to be next. So whoever would have been elected in our elections, TPP was not going to be on the thing for the United States. Uh, was it a good deal? It was a good deal for ag. I can't say about other things because all I studied was from the ag perspective. Yeah. Um, Canada, you're right, has always been, you know, it's, it's number one trading partner with the United States for most every state, certainly my home state of Indiana. I don't see this end up, uh, I think there's some... I think there's some negotiating. There's some saber rattling. We're going to end up just fine between our two countries. We need each other. Now let's talk about the ones that your prime minister. What's her name? <laughs> hey, he cut his hair. His hair is shorter. Come on. Oh, that's right. So Justin <laughs> Trudeau did hint this week that there might be some um, some wiggle room on this dairy thing. Now Trump pushed this a couple of times. I didn't think it was worth pushing. Your dairy guys do fine. They are protected, as is poultry in Canada. If you're, not, if you're listening to this and you're saying, what's he talking about? The United States does not have a quota system on really anything. Sugar is the closest thing in the United no, States. for sure. Yeah. Our sugar people on a sort of a, on a more protected and quota basis than we do any other commodity. In Canada, they have quota systems on everything with a feather, am I right, as well as milk. So yes. Trump pushed this that uh, you guys were protecting those two industries. I don't see that going away. Do you? Well, no, no, because it's the strongest. It's the strongest lobby that we have in agriculture. If if you want to look from an agriculture perspective, how to put up, you know, how to set up a really, really effective lobby organization, check out the Dairy Farmers of Canada. Very similar, like you alluded to, sugar in the U.S. Six. If you look at the commodity groups in the U.S., six of the seven largest lobbies are all sugar related. So very, very similar. Our dairy is your sugar. The, the whole thing about this, Damien, is that it goes back to the population thing. We already talked about this. The fact that you know, the, the, the U.S. has a huge supply issue in dairy, and I, I'm very, very sympathetic to that issue and the economic hardship that, that that is creating and that those producers are experiencing. The reality is, is getting – if supply management in Canada went away tomorrow and all of a sudden you could export as much as you wanted to Canada, it's a, it's a country of 35 million people. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not, it's, how is that? It's going to make you feel better. It's going to be something for Trump to talk about in his stump speeches when he goes to Wisconsin and Michigan. The yeah, reality a few more, is, it's a, a, few more, 
you're talking about a few more gallons of milk uh, because we have, as we point out, I point out all the time, we've had too much milk in the United States of America for 35 years. I was a kid on a dairy farm when they came out with the first dairy buyout. They would pay you if you slaughtered your cows and agreed not to produce milk anymore. That was in 1985 or 86. Well, we've got too much milk again, and here it is, 2018. We've had too much, too much milk for a long, long time. What about on poultry? Uh, is there really any issue that that we're not selling enough poultry up there? Is that what we're hearing? It's definitely the one that's got a little less profile. I'm sure there is a desire for more poultry to be shipped to to Canada, but once again, the border's kind of shut off and there's a high tariff on it, but it hasn't got the run that dairy has. Dairy is is really the it's sort of like the the syngenta bsf monsanto like whenever we talk about gmos it was always monsanto that would get hit with the rhetoric yeah that was the lightning rod yeah exactly and that's what dairy is we sort of forget about turkeys and chickens and and those kinds of things we focus on milk so are you saying that the uh protection of poultry in canada is going to go away and we're going to be sending tyson and pilgrim's pride and purdue and foster farms chickens to canada in greater (laughs) quantities very soon yeah i doubt it I doubt it, man. Like, that's, that's the part. And, and you know what? Well, here's what happens in all of this is in Canada, we have these inferiority complexes that we're, we just don't have the confidence at times because of the, the size of our population. And we, you know, we, we need the U.S. relationship. And that, that is very, very true. But the, the reality here is that we got to figure this out. That, that, and, and, and so is dairy going to be what keeps NAFTA from coming to a conclusion? Absolutely not. It's not from a Canadian perspective. And if I'm in the U.S., do you think the whole American economy is going to walk away from NAFTA because we're not getting, you're not being able to peddle a little bit more milk north of the border? It's all about auto. Like we, yeah. we, we search in agriculture for things to chat about, but it's, it, this whole thing has, has come down to auto. Yeah, the, the, that's obviously why the steel thing is and aluminum. I mean, it, I agree with you that soybeans with China. China is obviously threatened their thing because they know they can just rattle the heck out of the Trump supporters in Nebraska if they start saying corn. Yeah. Uh, they can rattle the Trump supporters in my home state of Indiana if they start talking pork. And that's, the, that's obviously very targeted, very smart. And what I have pointed out to my listeners and my audience members why are you falling for this? This reminds me of like, uh, you know, the, the crafty kid on the playground saying, oh, yeah, well, if you do this, blah, blah, blah. And then everybody runs scared. And you think, mm-hmm. why don't you just call his bluff? China has, well, the, the, the moment that they did about a month or so ago when they said, oh, we're going to not buy soybeans. The yeah. soybean prices plummeted by like 40 cents. And you know who the biggest buyer was when they hit their trough? China. China. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> hey, okay, listen. I think what's happened here is you alluded to it intellectual property protection, the, how China puts no value on it. IP is the problem. And so going after China on that is, uh, I'm 100% behind, and Canada's actually behind as well. So when, when they figured out the whole Section 232 thing, there was like this, which is the national security saying that, you know, we have to impose a tariff because of national security reasons. Of course, like what, what happened was, is now I say like Trump's drunk on 232. It's just like, we're going to throw tariffs everywhere. And that's going to be our solution to all of our problems. And it's kind of, it's lack of focus. It's taken his eye off the prize. And when China is the actual, they're the ones that are flooding the market on steel. Canada is only what, like something like 16.7% of your steel imports. And, and we, and to be, to really overload you with data, 
of your of your steel exports, Canada buys fifty five percent of it. Ha! We're not exactly a national security threat, no. although. Britain did burn down the White House in 18, the War of 1812. Yeah, by the way, this is the other thing, in case you guys, uh, uh, in case anybody listening isn't, isn't aware of this, if you ever are in a spat with a Canadian, and it happens all the time, they're a very aggressive, abrasive, warlike country. These Canadians then always bring up that they beat us in the War of 1812. <laughs> they, they, being <laughs> part of England, beat us in the War of 1812 and burned down our White House. So the Canadians love to rub that in our face. They're a very warlike and aggressive people. Um, but I will say that. Can, 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 can I tell you a story about that? Yes. So I, I'm, in, I'm in Nashville on holidays with my wife. This is probably like, I'm going to say like six or seven years ago. And so we're, we're down at NCBA convention and we're on this tour. And of course, Andrew Jackson is from Nashville, right? And, and so they're going around and they're taking us on their tour. And they're like, yeah, and that's general Andrew Jackson's house. Yeah. He, he led the U S forces against the British and the Canadians in the war of 1812. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And then, she, and then the tour guide's like, and we won that war. And my wife was, or my hand was about this high. And my wife grabs it and like pushes it right down. And is like, she's like, don't even start. I'm like, no, I got to argue this. We won that. We won. Speaking of wars, this is the important thing. First off, if you're ever in a discussion with a Canadian and remember, They'll, they'll, they're usually drunk, America. They're usually drunk. Just agree with them that they won the War of 1812. It's like one of those little things you concede. It makes them happy. And then tell them, yes, I like maple syrup. And the next thing you know, you're off to the races and you'll be friendly forever. So in addition to liking maple syrup and agreeing you won the War of 1812, let's also agree on this. Production wins wars. They taught me, because I actually learned history, that the United States never really won a war. We just beat the competition and by outproducing them. You know, when you look at World War II, Germany was up against the wall. They had 14-year-old kids in uniform. They were running out of resources. Their whole plan was to go and take over the world so they had greater resources. That's where I defend agriculture and what we need to do as an industry, both in Canada and the U.S., and point out to our consumers, stop, stop regulating us because what this really comes down to is China wants to be a superpower. And to be a superpower, they need to have food security and have tremendous productivity. They will do it themselves or they will buy other countries, if you will, that can do it. And obviously the Smithfield, uh, pork people, they're buying land in Africa is my understanding. So I believe that we must always be cognizant of the big picture here is when we uh, lose our own productive capacity through regulation or through lack of, shall we say, lack of protection. So there is a certain there's a certain amount of me that says, understands protectionism. I believe in trade. I have a degree in agricultural economics, but I understand a degree of protectionism when it comes to protecting productivity. Your thoughts? Yeah. And <clears throat> I think you can go further on that. And, and Canada is dealing with some of these same security issues too. I think it was two weeks ago, the Canadian government declined uh, ACON, the, that, the purchase of ACON, that construction company, China was trying to buy it. They said, no, um, alluding to national security reasons as well. I think China, you're entirely correct that China wants to be the superpower. What should be happening is countries like Canada and the U.S. sitting, you know, making sure that we're on the same page and from as a coalition, and you can even include the EU in that because I think we have a lot of mutual interests, 
we should be tackling that together, tackling dealing with China. Uh, that was one of the reasons why many people thought the U.S. should be in TPP, because not being in TPP really gave China the real upper hand in, in, the, Asian, in the Asian market. What we have now, though, is a scenario where the EU, Canada, and Japan are creating a trade tariff coalition to combat U.S. protectionism. And, and so we've got so much infighting going on within, within the G7 that we're not really actually tackling the real problem, which is actually China. We're, we're so distracted. But again, you know what they just, you know what they, this is again where things get screwy. And, and as an outsider who actually, I know about playground fights. I was in plenty of them. And I was the youngest of nine children. I know about managing personalities, each with their own divergent and self-serving interests. Mm -hmm. China loves the idea that Canada and the U.S. are fighting or Absolutely. loves the idea that there's some strife over here because divide and conquer and also we can... Um, and that brings me to the fact that you, half of your Twitter feed is being critical of the United States. So if we go to war, it's probably going to start personally. I'm just going to drive to Lethbridge, Canada, yeah. and just come up there and, just, just, and hop out of my car with some kind of a weapon. Of course, they'll check me going across the border, so I don't know what it'll be, and just beat the hell out of you. What do you think? I had somebody warn me the other day. They were like, they DM me, and they're like, you better be careful. You're going to get onto a no-entry list. I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? I, th that's, that's the whole thing in all of this is that am I critical about some of the things the, that, is ha that are happening? Yes. Am I very complimentary of some of the things that are happening? Absolutely. I don't know why Trump hasn't fired Scott Pruitt yet at the EPA. I don't, I don't know what Scott Pruitt has on Donald Trump. I'm not sure what you could do at EPA to get fired. I'm a big supporter of uh, Scott Pruitt because he <laughs> is trying to take the EPA down to a manageable level because it was an absolute, uh, it was an absolute advocacy group on steroids and my tax dollars. Uh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's the one. Th okay, that's like, yes, I 100%. But that's like the one little piece that is a big deal for agriculture. But there is a circus going on with, the, with all of the renewable fuel standard that is completely contradictory to what is in the best interests of, of agriculture from an EPA, EPA standpoint. So I think I have a very, very immense respect and love of American culture. Oh my God! Now he's. I do. Out. Now I. No, I'm not. Him, I no, no, no. This is the I no baloney. No baloney. I told him I was going to beat him up, and I wish. No, listen here. I wish that. I I really do wish that Canada, Canadians at times had the same ability to, be to sort of wrap themselves in the Canadian flag like like Americans can at times. Uh, we 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 tend to not. We tend to be a little bit more. Uh, like stand back a little bit. Oh, that's being too boastful. And I, I think that's one of the characteristics, uh, like that's one of the reasons, like I love college football. I'm like diehard about college football. And the way that people wrap themselves in their team and their colleges is just something that doesn't even close, doesn't come even close to happening in Canada. Now, the trouble with this is, is that some of those tendencies are being used against people as it applies to the U.S. is being taken advantage of. And so it is a bit of a double-edged sword. Well, actually, uh, I appreciate your, uh, your trying to get, trying to escape me physically harming you by <laughs> professing your life. 
And, and I should also point out that uh, the trait you described is sometimes called patriotism, then it becomes nationalism, then it becomes jingoism. So if you're bored someday here when you're driving around in your tractor, or you're out there, uh, dear ag listener, in your uh, sales job, go ahead and pull up your phone and, uh, and hit dictionary.com and type in jingoism. Um, that's the concern there. Uh, by the way, 54-40 or fight. Anybody that's a history buff, you know what I'm talking about. That's back when we were going to take over more of Canada back in the uh, 1800s. 54-40, those were latitude and longitude numbers. 54-40 or fight is an old uh, jingoistic term back then. If we don't get part of Canada, we're going to war. Okay, speaking of Canada and Americans, not going to war. What's the legitimate thing? What would a Canadian gripe about that's legit? What's an American to gripe about that's legit in as it relates to agriculture? Oh, I, I think Canadians, or if I was, um, that's a really good question. I think for Canadians, their gripe, whether it's legitimate or not, is that Amer some, sometimes Canada's um, contribution to the American economy is not recognized. Right. It, it kind of goes for it kind of goes forgotten. And yeah. a part of that is our insecurity a little bit. Right. Uh, Canada is a massive exporter of energy to the United States. It's that you want to talk about national security. Yeah. That's a yeah. huge piece of your national security is the amount of uh, energy that we ship south of the border. If you, you look at energy because you've been trained by your prime minister, Justin Trudeau, if you say the word oil, that's a naughty word. You are saying energy because then it sounds like it's oh, energy. I like energy. Yeah, sort of like California. We've removed certain words from our vocabulary to not uh -huh. uh -huh. <laughs> uh, what would a what would an American have a legitimate gripe about as it relates to the relationship with Canada and particularly as it relates to agriculture? If well, one of the biggest gripes that I haven't experienced with that's that's sort of been a battle for a long time is something like uh, in the cattle industry. You know, Canadian cattle moving live cattle or feeder cattle moving south and competing directly with say montana ranches and and so that that is a legitimate gripe if you are if you're looking at it as a one-way a one-way relationship it's always interesting when all those montana feeder cattle come north you don't get groups like our calf complaining too much but uh, <laughs> and i i think and i think overall damon honestly it damien. is wait a minute you forgot my name damien not damon damon uh, was a basketball I think, player i think right. you got like you got some, i think there's something wrong with your piece because I, I, I could be that could be i'm pretty sure i said that um I, I think it's it's the fact that you know and we hear president trump do this a little bit is that canadians are sneaky they're nice right and so the gripe is they're fooling us and uh I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just one of our strat strategies in the whole thing. You're a sharp guy talking to Sean Haney, my friend with realagriculture.com. He's on Real Ag Radio at 4 o'clock Eastern on Channel 147 Sirius XM. He's going to close us out here. By the way, first off, we've talked a lot about trade. I will point out that some of what we are doing as a country is probably going to end up being beneficial. Yesterday's Wall Street Journal had an article that China has already decided, yes, we will agree to take on $70 billion in additional agricultural and manufactured outputs from the United States of America. Now, remember, on a $380 billion annual deficit, that's getting partway there. We'll never be at equal with them because of just the way their economy is situated and the way our economy is situated. They're ascending. They're still developing. We're uh, an older and affluent country. But that probably does does point out that some of this strategy of going to these folks 
for eight, for 16 years, we had a neighborhood organizer in charge of our country that never once pointed out that the deals were bad. So there is some strategy to this that I think is ultimately going to be good for business and the business of agriculture. You thoughts? Uh, yeah, but th- I think that we've sort of, and due to President Trump's uh, stump speeches, all of a sudden we've thought that trade deficits are bad. And there's a lot of economists out there that say that is complete bunk. That this whole focus on trade surpluses and, and deficits, it's a number. And actually, if the, and what the U.S. has found is it's, as the economy is running on steroids and is super, super uh, running at a high velocity right now, of course the trade deficit's going to get bigger. And, and so people shouldn't look at it as a negative because you want to reduce the deficit, then Americans stop selling so much stuff to China. The deficit will shrink. So the reality here is that I, I think we, we focus on some of this stuff so much and we, do, it's, it's like a, we don't even understand the cause and effect, but it's really, really good political, you know, some stuff that runs on MSNBC or Fox or whatever, right? And it's, it's kind of frustrating a little bit. Too. Well, and I can't, I can't tell you enough because this guy has been very complimentary, my dear guest, my friend from Canada. I like to be complimentary also. I think those pictures of Justin Trudeau with his family in the uh, costumes for India, I thought that was amazing. I mean, <laughs> him standing there barefooted with his hands folded in front of him like he was praying in front of an Indian temple. Oh, gosh. And he changed costumes, I'm told, like four times a day. I'm sure that was not insulting to the Indians at all. It was a big costume party for the Trudeau family paid for by you. Amazingly horrible. That, that's what that was. <laughs> that, that was a train wreck in motion. That, it, it was so bad. It was so embarrassed. You know, it, I, I think it was interesting. So we had our own White, Ho- White House correspondence dinner up here, like our version of it. It's like the press club or whatever they do. And he, it was funny to watch him make fun of himself. And he, he actually gave a, a PowerPoint presentation showing pictures. He did a really good job uh, being very, very self-deprecating. He, he is, he's a challenge depending on, <laughs> what, he, you know, like there is, so I will say this besides maybe the trip to China that he did where he was very, he didn't come through on some things that they were promising and the disastrous Indian trip that you have talked about that got media attention all over the world. He has been good for the Canadian brand globally. Uh, it, it really has opened some doors for Canada. It's really solidified. I think it's helped close the seed agreement. Although domestically, boy, does he have some problems, major problems. He, the liberal, he, you know, they're trying to govern the center, which is really, really difficult. And so he has made promises to the right from a business perspective. And he's made promises to the left from an environmental perspective. And we have, Two weeks ago, we nationalized the Trans-Canada pipeline for $4.5 billion. The government is going to own it. And he's going to have trouble next year in the election because he is his political equity candle is burning at both ends. All right. Sean Haney, smart agricultural Canadian man that you are. Give me your final thoughts for the business of agriculture. What final thoughts on this topic or any that you yeah. want to give our listeners? Here's, here's what I think a key takeaway is. In Canada, we have a left government. In the U.S., you have a right government. And it is shocking to me how the issues are so similar. And I think it's a really, really good pilot project running at the exact same time for agriculture to kind of wake up a little bit. So no matter if we are dealing with a left or a right, we cannot rest in making sure that uh, consumers and especially the governments in power understand what our issues are. 
And I find at times what we do is we're like, oh, you go to a grower association meeting and you speak at lots of them, producer meetings. It's like, why are we spending so much money on lobbying and going to Washington or going to Ottawa? This is a waste. The reality is those, those budgets should be doubled. Because as we become a smaller percentage of the population in both countries, we need to make sure that our issues are understood and that our we're not being negatively impacted by, by political, political decision-making, whether that's left or right. And I think the U.S. is an example of that right now where you know, rural America was a huge part of the election of this president, which is for absolutely very understandable reasons. They have never had to lobby harder. They're, they're, like, they're working overtime. Now, part of that is the way that he changes his mind uh, every 12 hours. But they are working hard and probably even harder than they had to under the previous administration. And, and, so the, sa and the same thing's happening in Canada. It's, it's you know, making sure that Canada is doing or the government understands what those ag issues are. We cannot rest and have to make sure that we continue with these communication efforts. Sean Haney has been my guest on this episode of the Business of Agriculture podcast, where, as promised, we bring you interesting issues that impact the business of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. Check him out, realagriculture.com, Real Ag Radio on Rural Radio Channel 147. I'm going to be his guest as he was my guest, so you can hear me on there. You can also hear me next time right here on the Business of Agriculture podcast. Thank you very much. Till next time.